Hello everyone, you're listening to America Meditating Radio. We collect wisdom, inspire each other, and empower hearts on demand 24-7. I'm Sister Jenna, host of the syndicated America Meditating Radio. Join us as we talk one-on-one with leading experts who answer life's most compelling questions. Because in a world of uncertainty, we need answers right here, right now. America Meditating Radio, a show for everyone to learn more about this amazing thing called life. Imagine that you're sitting in a control room, looking through your eyes. Allow your body to become very comfortable and still. Now, turn off all the switches in the control room to the body. Turn off the switch to the feet. Switch to the legs. As each switch is turned off, you'll feel that part of the body relax and become very light. Turn off the switch to the stomach and the chest. You'll feel your breathing slowing down. Turn off the electricity to the hands and the arms. You'll feel all the energy drawing upwards. Turn off the neck. And now, last and most importantly, turn off the switch to the face until the whole engine of the body has come to a standstill.
everyone. Welcome to America Meditating Radio. I'm your host, Sister Jenna. I hope you enjoyed that meditation on the switch by the Brahma Kumaris. Take a deep breath and just allow your inner world to settle into its own stillness, into its own peace. There's so much happening in the world today that sometimes we can get so distracted that we lose sight on who we are and what we can do for the earth, for the planet, for our lives. We can sometimes miss the call, you know. But it's in your practice of silence and peace that answers do come. They emerge very beautifully. Today our special guest is someone I'm looking quite forward to speaking with. Robert De Laurentiis is actually a resident of San Diego but is now quarantined in Spain in the midst of his pole-to-pole flight. Just imagine that. He's known as the Peace Pilot, and Robert De Laurentiis is an aviation circumnavigator, author, speaker, pilot, realist, and Navy Gulf War veteran. He holds an advanced graduate degree in spiritual psychology and is the founder of the Citizen of the World for the World, a global peace movement to connect humanity through the wonder of flight and the power of courageous actions. His latest books include Peace Pilot, To the Ends of the Earth and Beyond, which is coming in 2021, and the children's book, The Little Plane That Could. Robert joins us to share his pole-to-pole journey to understanding what it means to be a citizen of the world. So it's my pleasure to welcome Robert to America Meditating Radio. Hi, Robert. Welcome to the air. How are you? Hi, Sister Jen. I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on your show. Oh, welcome. I came to find out about you, and I was so inspired by the work that you're doing. I want to hear everything about what actually got you involved with deciding to travel around the world to create peace, so to speak. But let's start with, you've been flying around the world now for a while. What exactly started that whole movement for you? What was going on in the mind of Robert? that initiated this thought to come into action? Well, you know, to do a pole-to-pole flight, it's not the first flight you would do. This actually started several years ago. I was working on an advanced graduate degree in spiritual psychology with an emphasis in consciousness, health, and healing at the University of Santa Monica up in Los Angeles. And we were doing an exercise about imagining the life we wanted to live. And it only needed to be 50% true, so you could really exaggerate, mm-hmm. sort of open up your mind. And I wanted to do a flight around the world. At the time, it was equatorial circumnavigation, so along the equator. And I went up to one of my instructors, and I said, hey, I want to tie this flight into a global cause, and I wanted to get some thoughts on that. And he said, well, how about world peace? And there was a long pause, and we both sort of laughed. Mm-hmm. And on that particular trip, that was not the mission. But when I successfully completed that back in 2015, true to what I wrote about in my first book called Flying Through Life, we wanted mm-hmm. to pursue the impossibly big dream. And after you know, doing a flight around the world along the equator, the next biggest thing or the biggest thing was a circumnavigation over the poles. And I was doing some reading online I saw that the only two places on the planet where peace actually existed was the South Pole and North Pole. 
And I thought, wow, it'd be great to do a flight to connect those two places and everybody in between on this mission of global peace. So that's really when it was born. And it's been one of the more difficult things I've done in my life. We thought it would take about six months to prepare for that as the first trip did. And I was humbled three different times and the trip was delayed three times as we started to realize what it would involve to actually get an aircraft to fly that distance and those temperatures with all the navigation, pilot fatigue, fuel gelling, equipment issues. So tell me, what kind of an aircraft are you using to take this expedition? Well, for this polar expedition, I selected Gulfstream Turbine Commander 900, which is a twin turboprop aircraft, which means they're jet engines, actually Predator drone engines, that turn huge five-bladed nickel-tip scimitar composite props. And this plane is very, very highly modified. Spent about three years getting it ready, replacing all the major systems with the latest aviation safety and technology. The plane itself is a wonder, quite honestly. And what's the year for the plane? It's a 1983. The plane term's not so bad, quite honestly, but all we really kept was the airframe. Everything else got changed out. And the engineering on that plane was remarkable for the time and actually is probably one of the best-performing twin turboprop aircrafts around today still. So it was a pretty special plane from the beginning, and it was designed to fly about 2,000 nautical miles, and we pushed the range out to 5,000. So it's, and that's That's a difficult thing to do, trust me. Yeah, I'm aware of that. That's more than double. So now inside the aircraft, does it have like a bed where you, sometimes when you land, you're down, do you sleep in the plane or... When you land at certain locations, do you come out and then go to a hotel and catch up on things? What's it like when you actually land in a particular place? Well, let me say, first of all, the plane originally seats nine, and we've added six extra fuel tanks. There's barely room to breathe inside the plane. and <laughs> I get it. Because we've had fuel leaks of Jet A and Jet A1, it smells so strongly of fuel in there that your eyes water your sinuses oh, wow. burn, and when you get out, your clothes smell of jet fuel. Yeah. And I make a yeah. joke out of it, which instead of calling it Jet A, I call it Jeté, which is a, <laughs> a cologne for pilots. You know, I haven't been in the plane for about two months, and somebody made a comment that my clothes still smell like fuel. So it's not <laughs> the most pleasant experience, but it's certainly getting the job done in a pretty dramatic way. What's it like being up there, Robert, with yourself and the skies and the clouds? And what are some of the thoughts that are swirling in your mind? Well, I recently did a little promotional video for one of my sponsors, and I said that some people call it heaven, I call it flying. It's a unique experience because so many things come together in one moment in time. So, you know, if we were hanging out with our friends, that might be considered a pretty good time. If we were just flying a plane, like operating it, that would be a pretty good time. If you were traveling, that would be a pretty good time. And if you were immersed in nature, you know, up in the clouds, that would be a pretty good time. But you put all those together in one moment, 
I think it's the ultimate meditation, quite honestly. I bet it is. Now, that's a meditation moment, no doubt. You're up there, you're detached, but yet there's a purpose within you that's being fulfilled. You're translating that we really are all connected, and peace is our way. Peace is the way. You've been with this aircraft for quite a while. Have you felt like you've created a deep relationship and a bond with this particular aircraft, and do you find that it responds to you vibrationally? I know you know what I'm saying. I know maybe our listeners are trying to figure out what I'm trying to say. <laughs> but it's no, like a NASCAR exactly right. driver. You know what I mean, right? <laughs> they bond with their cars. So what's been your bond with this aircraft? I'm sure it's like it's a living being for you in some ways, isn't it? Absolutely. You know, with my last plane, which was the Spirit of San Diego, when I sold it, I sat inside of it and sobbed. It was a very emotional moment because, you know, you're going to different parts of the planet, you know, under extreme stress at times, you're pulling off stuff that's sort of beyond what you thought you were capable of. So yes, you know, you bond with these aircraft. And when I was leaving Madagascar, there was a cyclone coming in and I was trying to beat the cyclone out. And I knew if I left the plane on the ground, it would be destroyed because planes don't do very well in extreme weather on the ground. So I was taking off and I could hear the water impacting the plane and it literally ripped some of the paint off the aircraft, some of the decals. And the plane didn't miss a beat, and it got me to my next destination, which was Kenya, safely. And I got out of that plane, and I was in love. You know, we were at that point tight. And really, an aircraft is a vehicle for a message as well. And with all the messages we have on this mission, one of which is one planet, one people, one plane, one is for humanity, it really has a remarkable job as well. So, yeah, I'm in love with my plane, I would say. <laughs> I would say that. I'm sure I'm the only one that's ever asked you that in an interview. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, planes breathe. They need air just like we do. Exactly. It talks to us, too. You know, when it doesn't like something, it'll yes, let you know. I believe in that. I believe that our thoughts definitely send messages to matter, and matter responds according to the thoughts. Now, I know that you're still in Spain, and recently you shared a message about how the coronavirus can affect our egos. Can you share what's been your latest realization due to this COVID crisis? Yeah, absolutely. With respect to the ego, I think before the virus, we defined ourselves by the things in our lives, even our professions. Maybe you were a doctor or an attorney or an accountant and you drove a nice car and you had nice clothes and you received feedback based on all these different things. Well, when you're locked in a room, in my case, you know, by myself, I'm not getting that input from the rest of the world. So I'm spending my time reaching out to my friends, comforting them, helping other people. You might not have food, getting closer with family members that maybe I had some distance develop over the years with them. And then all of a sudden I'm defining myself by who I am now. And that forces the ego to take a back seat. 
And if I were to make an analogy, it'd be like a basketball player is the star player in your life, and he's asked or she's asked to sit down on the bench and is having a total fit because that person doesn't get to play. That doesn't feel good for us when that's happening. It's sort of like a loss of identity. But gradually the ego takes a back seat or plays a smaller role in our lives, and then we really redefine who we are. Now we're the compassionate person. We're the one that listened to their friend when they really needed us. We're the supportive, loving brother or sister. I think that's a much better way to see ourselves, and it's certainly a lot easier to love ourselves when we're helping other people out and being the best version of ourselves we can be. Beautiful. You know, there's nothing like sometimes an event that forces us to see things differently. And even though you are up in the ethers and you're flying and there's a lot of solitude for you, it still offers a different paradigm of thinking, doesn't it? Well, it definitely offers some perspective because you're literally pulling yourself out of the two-dimension and and all of a sudden you're existing in the third dimension. It's a different experience. One of my friends once said that when we landed, she felt like her soul reconnected with the earth. So it's in a space that not everybody gets to experience. And I think it's closer to our original selves. We come to the planet as souls having a human experience. But when I'm up in the air, I feel like I'm more closely connected to my soul than I am when I'm on the ground. Of course you are, because the natural nature of the soul is peace, and it's so unlimited, without a doubt. Maybe that's why you really love being up there. What's the longest you've flown in air, like one trip? What's the longest? Well, that would be the South Pole leg, which was 18 hours, 4,200 nautical miles, which is close to 5,000 actual miles. I did that uh, December 19th of 2019. I wanted to get the hardest, longest, riskiest leg out of the way first or early in the trip. So now I'm on what I call my victory lap, which (laughs) is around the rest of the planet, over the North Pole, and then into the United States eventually. So tell us about that, because you want to awaken the world to acknowledge that we are citizens of the world. And I think this pandemic has also somehow planted a seed to those who didn't think that, but to folks like you and me, we always knew that. But how do you think the flying around now, the pole-to-pole flight, going to help in making the world really recognize, listen, we are citizens of the world? I think what it shows is that competition no longer works. It's cooperation that's going to get the planet past this next challenge. And a lot of the lessons we have in our lives are directed at us as individuals. Maybe it's self-esteem, maybe it's bullying, maybe it's self-worth, maybe it's scarcity. But this issue, the global pandemic, is something that affects everybody equally. So it doesn't matter if you're wealthy or poor, what your goals are, what you've achieved in life, you have the same risk. And it forces us to see other people in their humanity. And we really are citizens of one world. We came from the same matter. We breathe the same air that goes across the planet. And we're faced with the same challenges. So I think it's just a wonderful opportunity to highlight what our nature is. 
and how we are becoming citizens of the world. It's a global economy. The challenges that face us are more and more global. It's just becoming more and more obvious, I think, that we're all connected. Yeah. It surprises me that it took a pandemic for us to even begin to recognize the power in our connectivity. One of the biggest things that you write and speak about is the power of courageous action. Could you elaborate more on this for our listeners? Sure. Courageous action, in my opinion, is that we're not going to just sit back and sit behind our computers. We're actually going to go out into the world and take a chance at making it a better place. And I know for a lot of my life, I felt like I sort of sat back and I was waiting for other people to fulfill their promises to me and to society. And at this stage in my life, I want to be the example. And, you know, if that means failing, then there are lessons that are learned in failing. And at least you went out and gave it a shot. So I think the courageous part is being able to look at the challenges, even if they seem insurmountable. You know, this had never been done in an aircraft of this type before. A lot of people told me I was just going to get myself killed. I felt, Aww. quite honestly, Don't with you all the... I just hate to hear those people. I hate to talk to downers <laughs> when I'm doing something amazing. <laughs> I just shut my mouth up. Honestly, Robert, I just don't tell him anything anymore. (laughs) That might be a better plan. Just bless them. (laughs) You know, when I left from Ushuaia, Argentina, I packed up all my personal belongings in my hotel room. So if I didn't make it back, you know, they could just ship them to my family. And I assessed my chances for survival at about 50%. So that meant 50% being alive in the next 18 hours. And I was scared, but I just felt like what we could accomplish for the planet was greater than me as an individual. And even if I didn't make it, it still sent a message that we were going to go out and take a chance at peace. That's something that might hold you back, though, sometimes, don't you feel? Or maybe it's practical, 50%, okay, I might make it 50%, I won't. What if you never heard those naysayers says, Robert, I wish I was like you, man. You're going to change the world. You're going to make such an impact. You're going to make the world realize we're all here as one. I wonder how you would take off in those flights. (laughs) (laughs) People ask me what inspires me, but for me, it's kind people that support me, that believe in me that have faith in me. And then I've got over 90 sponsors. And these are very generous people. They believe in the mission. They believe in me. And they want a better world. So without them, I couldn't do what I'm doing. And that doesn't even include the wonderful people that are on my team and on my board. Just great people. This is not a one-man effort or a one-woman effort. There's many people making this happen. I'm sure. So you've got an upcoming book, Peace Pilot, To the Ends of the Earth and Beyond, which will be released next year. You want to give us a sneak preview? Sure. It's also the name of our eight-part docuseries. We started out with the intention of doing a documentary, and I was able to grab a team of cinematographers. One of them worked for National Geographic's Discovery and Animal Planet, guy named Jeremy Lazell and then Kristen Gates, amazing cinematographers. And we're so excited about 
what the book and what the documentary will bring into the world. We're interviewing people about what it means to be citizens of the world, how they're bringing peace to the world. And it's also about the, the journey of this plane and all the different countries I visit and to the ends of the earth and beyond. The beyond part is the spiritual component of the documentary and the book. So we're so excited about what this thing is becoming. And it was interesting because when I originally spoke with Jeremy about the documentary or the docu-series, I said, you know, will this ever make it to the movies or to Netflix or Amazon? Or is this just going to be a video I show my buddies? And he goes, it'll probably be a video you show your buddies. And then as things have progressed, he started to say, well, you know, maybe we will be able to get it on. And now he's convinced that we will. So I think we started to achieve something very, very special. I've seen three of the episodes so far, the second rough cut, and I get excited every time I watch them. I bet you do. I can feel your zen and the genuinity of your purpose and the call that you're fulfilling. It's just really, really inspiring. Now, I know that you wrote a children's book for the first time, and your vision or your aim is to keep inspiring a new generation of dreamers and seekers. Is there a particular reason why that seems to be also of a great importance? When you were a little boy, was there something that you read that inspired you to dream and seek, or was there someone that you met, or all of this call just started to emerge on its own? Let me give some credit where it's due, because I co-wrote the book with a wonderful woman who's one of my mentors. Her name is Susan Gilbert, and she joined me for part of the uh, polar circumnavigation. We were in Kenya. We went to a shopping center to buy some supplies, and we walked by a restaurant, and there was a mother and a father and a young girl, probably about two or three years old, and her parents were talking back and forth, and she pointed up in the air, and there was a plane going by. What we thought about was you know what, maybe we should try and inspire the kids when they first start looking into the air for inspiration. And a lot of companies focus on high school kids because it won't be so long until they're pilots. But since we're a not-for-profit, the DeLorenis Foundation, we wanted to start when kids first start looking towards the sky and inspire them. We don't have to turn a profit. So we're not motivated by money. We're just trying to do the most good in the world that we can. That's so beautiful. How inspiring. So what have been some of your most profound life lessons and success principles that maybe you'd like to leave with our listeners today? And tell me about the award you got, flag number 44. How was that? I mean, see, that's a whole bunch of questions. So as you can see, I just want to keep talking to you. Since you have a lot of time in your hands in Spain... I do have time in Spain, that's for sure. Um, Let me start by saying, you know, when we started out this mission, we were going to go find peace in the world. And I was interviewing a paraglider pilot in Brazil. And he said, before I can bring peace into the world, I have to find it in myself. And I had like a uh uh-oh moment because I thought our documentary and our mission just took a left turn here because... Now we need to find the peace inside ourselves before we can even continue this. And I thought that journey could take a lifetime for somebody. 
Eckhart Tolle fast-tracked it by sitting on a park bench for two years. And I didn't have two years, and I certainly had no idea how we were going to get to that place of inner peace. I ended up climbing Mount Korkor and met a priest who had lived inside the mountain for like 60 years, and then a nun as well, not in the same place, of course. And then from there, I went to Montserrat and got to live with the monks for a short time, eating with them, praying with them, meditating in the garden. And then finally, I'm here now in Spain in a place that was listed as a Zen villa. And I've had these moments of inner peace where I just felt totally at peace. They started out very brief, and now they've extended for longer and longer periods of time. I don't know that it's possible to maintain that forever, but I really feel like I've come to this place of inner peace, and now we can continue with our mission and bring it out into the world. So it's been divine, and I start to look at this and go, wow, those three delays that we had before I even left, maybe those were all meant to be. I was supposed to be in the epicenter for the coronavirus here in Spain at this time. There are no accidents. And I could even probably reach back further, Sister Jenna, and say my entire life was set up so that I could be here at this moment in time with this skill set, these people supporting me with this aircraft. Beautiful story, Robert. I'm really moved by your story. Tell us about the Flag 44. What's the Explorers Club on the Polar Expedition? And tell us about what Flag 44 means. Sure. The Explorers Club is a group of explorers, and it goes back to the early, early 1900s. And these flags have been to the moon. They've been to the bottom of the Marianas Trench. They've been to the top of Everest. And these are hardcore explorers. Our mission has been uh, described as a polar expedition by the State Department, the EPA, and the National Science Foundation. So these are a very small group of people that go out into the world and do things to further science and improve the planet. And I'm carrying an experiment for NASA and also another one for the Scripps Institute of Oceanography. That one tests for plastics in the atmosphere. They found microfibers or plastics on the ground all over the planet in the water, but nobody has tested for plastics in the air. So we're going to connect those three cycles. And most recently, they're looking to see if this coronavirus is airborne on these plastic particles. So we're waiting to hear from our scientists as to whether they're going to be able to determine that. But we feel like we're playing a vital role to move humanity forward. And these things don't just benefit me or the mission or the United States. It's for everyone. And we're really excited that this aircraft, the citizen of the world, can be this platform that can contribute to humanity in this way. So you actually have the flag, number 44, with you? Well, I was just awarded it a short time ago, so my cinematographer is going to bring it over, and I'll officially be awarded that in Norway, and that's my launching point for crossing the North Pole into the United States. So... You know, ideally, we would have had it the day I left, but it takes time. The scientists have to submit their information and it has to be reviewed. So we're very happy to be awarded that. Flag number 44 is one of the oldest ones still in existence, and it's got 
quite a storied past. It's a pretty special flag, and when you look at it, it's a little bit tattered. It's been around, <laughs> but it's a great honor to carry that. It's really, you know, it carries the whole energy of all the success and the stories in it as well. I also am carrying some ashes from my mother, and then we have 200 what I call courage coins, and they're coins, lightweight, that we developed that have our mission on one side, a picture of the earth that actually has texture to it, picture of the plane, and they're all serialized, one through 200. So besides our experiments, besides the ashes and the flag, we carry that. And then also biofuels were used to fly over the South Pole for the first time in the history of man or woman, and we'll again use them to fly over the North Pole as well. Your life is so fascinating. How many countries have you visited so far? Well, on this flight, 22-ish, and then on the last flight, I think if you added them all up, it would be a total of 50. And then I've been to probably 130 to 140 countries in my life. So, yeah, we're knocking a lot of them out pretty quickly. But the funny thing that's happened is that this virus has slowed me down. Like the plane will fly at about 340 miles an hour. When I got to Spain, I rode on the bullet train, which was doing about 140, I believe. My rental car would do about 70, and now I'm at a stop. So I call that at the speed of life. And it's amazing, quite honestly, how much I was missing. So when I think about the coronavirus, I think, wow, what a blessing this has been. It's absolutely brought me to a stop where I can be open to what's actually happening in the moment and not just blowing by it, you know, 340 miles an hour. Indeed. Quite interesting, isn't it? I think this coronavirus has taught many of us many mysteries, many secrets that we are still unfolding day by day. I was just going to say, you know, I've been keeping my list of all the things that I'm learning, and it is a growing list, like you said, and probably a time that we may never experience again. I like to think with all these challenges comes an equal number of opportunities, and this sort of forced meditation or opportunity to slow down and, and see the world in a different way may be one of the greatest blessings that we'll experience. Yes, indeed. I agree. Any final thoughts that you'd like to leave with our listeners? And can I have you to come back again and we can talk some more? I just think what you're doing is so historical, genuine, inspiring. Yeah, I appreciate um, that. And I'd love to chat with you more. It's bigger than life what you're doing, yet it's being done so humbly and so quietly, which is what makes it bigger than life. Well, thank you. It's nice to be recognized. And again, I would bring you back to the, the entire team that's working so hard and has been working so hard for many years. I would just say this is an opportunity. Life is an opportunity to be the biggest version and the brightest version of ourselves that it can be. And if we have the love and support of people that believe in us, I really think that that impossible dream is something that we can turn into reality. And it's easy to say no or to say that's for somebody else, but I think that there's value in just trying. And going out into the world and taking a chance, I think, is a courageous action that we're all capable of. So I would encourage anybody who has 
something they've been wanting to do to just go out and give it a try. Absolutely. I mean, we live so cautiously. I've interviewed so many people who have been by the beds of individuals about to take flight and leave their bodies and mm-hmm. told me nine times out of ten, one of the regrets that many people have shared that they've had in life is that they didn't do what they wanted to do with their lives. Did what everyone else told them to do and that's profound. It's quite profound. Life is supposed to be an adventure, but not one that is just self focused, but that which helps humanity to become a better place. I just think that's the best way to live out your adventure. You leave a message behind that inspired humanity to be a better version. Leave us with yeah, a website absolutely. that anyone who wishes to support your cause or to learn more about it can contact you. Sure, it's www.pole2to, and then pole again, P-O-L-E, flight.com. So pole2poleflight.com. And we're on many, many different types of social media, Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, Pinterest, Facebook. It's easy to find us. Just type in Zen Pilot. Zen Pilot. Well, I'm going to follow you on Twitter right now. <laughs> okay. Thank you right. so much, Robert. It was just right. a delight and lots of blessings. I'm going to play a special song which is entitled Flying Free, which I think will be perfect for you. So don't hang up. Excellent. Thank you, Sister Jenna. You're welcome. I hope everyone has enjoyed our chit-chat with the peace pilot known as the Zen pilot, Robert De Laurentiis. Wonderful story. I really felt like I just wanted to sit in the living room, drink non-alcoholic champagne, and just talk about life and adventures and just be. He just sounds like a person who you can just have a real genuine heart-to-heart conversation with. So go to his website at poletopoleflight.com and learn more about the incredible work that he and his team are doing and also look forward to his upcoming book, Peace Pilot to the Ends of the Earth and Beyond. Remember, no one can take away your happiness unless you give them permission. We really are here to love each other the same. Remember to pause for your traffic control every hour on the hour. Take a moment of breath and peace and send your peaceful wishes to yourself and to our world. Here's Flying Free by Bliss and for Robert. Take care, everyone. Be well. Be safe.
I'm Sister Jenna. You've been listening to America Meditating Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Did you enjoy that conversation? Because you can also listen to it on Spotify or on iTunes, 24-7, anytime, anywhere. I do trust we all have inner power to become our very best. When we listen with curiosity to learn more, we grow. So thanks so much for tuning in, and do be easy on yourself. Take care.